Hello and welcome to Darker Days Radio, episode number 33. I'm, of course, Mike, and tonight I'm joined by Chris. Chris, how are you? I know it's pretty uh, late over there. You've been uh, intravenously injecting caffeine all day. Caffeine, and I've gone through Turkish tea, apple tea, and I'm now on another form of tea. So caffeine in all its wonderful varieties. Yeah. I'm good. Cool, cool. And today we're also joined by a special guest from over at wadnews.net, Peter, also known as Harlequin. What's going on, Peter? Hello, gentlemen. Chris, Mike. Hello. Welcome. Happy New Year as well. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Great. So, uh, Peter, could you kind of just tell us how how wadnews.net has grown uh, in the past, like, eight months since we've had you on the show? It's been that long, really. Yeah. Um, that's actually surprising. It, it, see, it seems like uh, uh, we just had our interview and we were just uh, at PAX like a month or two ago, doesn't it? it just, the time just flew by. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, I'm really been uh, amazed and uh, very content with uh, how the site's been going. When I rebooted this site uh, almost a year ago, um, for the first few months, I was getting uh, probably a couple thousand unique IP hits, and now the last uh, stats, the most recent stats that I've uh, seen compiled, uh, I'm get, we're, we're averaging around 10,000 unique IP hits a month and uh, several hundred thousand page views. So uh, the site's really uh, taken off, uh, getting new users almost on a daily basis, uh, registered users. So we've, uh, we've really done quite, quite well. I'm very happy with that. Yeah, definitely. And you guys have, uh, on your forums, you got like a, a small forum game of Vampire going, and uh, just a lot of activity and discussion, which is great, and uh, some really cool blog articles. I saw your one about uh, the top 10 computer RPGs of all time, and I gotta say, Peter, Planescape Torment is way better than Icewind Dale. I've played both of them, and Icewind Dale is hardly even an RPG. You know, I've taken heat for that. I really have taken heat for that, but this is my logic. Um, it's a little easier to explain verbally than the written word. The deal is Planescape. Awesome. I, I give it accolades. I give it credit. I, I think it is an amazingly written story. But that's the thing. It's essentially a computerized novel disguised as a role-playing, a computer role-playing game. Extremely linear. There's really no choice, uh, but the characters, the dialogue, the story, really amazing, very gripping, very powerful. So to me, Planescape is a computer novel, an excellently written and executed computer novel, but more of a computer novel than, in my opinion, a role-playing game, a computer role-playing game in this format. Where with a, when I think of a role-playing game, I think of not only a game that I can take a position in, take a character in, but a game that I, there's some choices and consequence, and it's a, an open world to some level, and I can explore a bit, and there's this, you know, these kind of elements. And in this case, that it really isn't. It, it's a very linear game that doesn't really have much choice of consequence 
and so that was my decision to give it an honorable mention rather than put it on the top ten list. Now, as for Icewind Dale, and I've taken a lot of heat for this, mm-hmm. I'm going to say I think Icewind Dale transcended its initial goals, and that's the reason I put it on there. Because originally it was supposed to be just a very simple uh, hack-and-slash D&D dungeon crawl. And that's really what it was supposed to be. Uh, it was a, a very quickly pumped out Infinity Engine dungeon crawl. However, I thought, I thought the story, I thought the characters, I thought the voice acting, it really transcended that. And it, it, in the end, is it still a dungeon crawl? Yes. But it is an extremely well dungeon crawl. And I'll tell you, while when playing through it, I really felt like I was playing one of those old Redbox D&D modules. You know, it had had a well-thought-out, very interesting um, story with some interesting characters, interesting NPCs, uh, as I said, some some very well-done voice acting. Now, is the story, should it win any Oscars? No. But I really felt uh, that the bar that it was set at to be, it exceeded in spades. And that's why I put it on the list. All right, all right. That's good reasoning, and I accept your chart. <laughs> um, I'm just looking at the list. I'm kind of glad to see that uh, Mass Effect didn't make it. I have real issues with Mass Effect because it bores the crap out of me as a game. Because uh, one of my issues with um, with you know RPG type uh, on well console or PC RPG games are those that set your character up to be something. So in the case of Mass Effect, this kind of secret agent, kind of galaxy-trotting, gun-toting uh, special ops guy, yet they set you off on doing what are essentially uh, messenger jobs and doing small favors. So um, I'm glad that didn't make it on your top ten. <laughs> My big beef with it was that just like... Um... It wasn't very fun. Like there was all these side missions that were all the same. Just like go to the planet, mm. find the base, shoot the guys in it. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. I yeah. mean, the, the core story was pretty interesting, but yeah, it was pretty tedious. I'd say. I kind of liked the the kind of scouting systems and kind of doing all that. It felt very. It felt fun in that sense that you could you could feel like you were discovering things but then when you went down onto the planets all it was was shoot up the pirates and it's kind of like mm-hmm. i think mass effect and i think uh i've been talking to david hill on um on google plus about this it's i mentioned that it maybe has a better kind of blueprint to make a very good kind of like star trek game where where you know you can't go about shooting people because you're the goddamn federation that's not what you do whereas mass effect tells you oh you're a special ops guy and yet you know you can't just the guy that should be giving you information is going oh well i need you to go deliver this it's like no i'm going to pull the gun on you but i don't have the option to do that hmm. yeah seems to me that bioware games are again this might go back to my um my stance where really bioware is a shell of its former self it seems as time progresses their quote-unquote CRPGs are becoming more and more bland and, le- and less and less innovation and less mm. and dynamic and less and less uh, consequence and action. 
and so on and so mm. forth. It seems like the, it's becoming just a process now. And yeah. this have to do with EA essentially pulling the strings at this point. Because, hmm. I mean, one Bioware game which I have fond memories of is, of course, Knights of the Old Republic, which there were consequences throughout that for what you were doing. And it, but it felt right, and it set up your character, and you felt like you were playing your character as you should, rather than being told you could, you're meant to do things, but then removing those choices from you and not really playing up to the expectations of it. So, um, yeah, I have issues with Bioware then. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wrote a blog about a year or so ago now, and I just said, essentially I made the, I made the comparison of Bioware and, ironically speaking, of Star Trek, the Star Trek board, where <laughs> I, I looked at EA as a collective, and I said, basically, Bioware's been assimilated. And you can like it yeah. or not, you can throw rotten vegetables at me for saying it, just saying it out loud. But the bottom line is, that is the reality of the situation. They are never going to make another Baldur's Gate or another uh, Star, Wars, Star Wars Old Republic. They, we are never, ever going to see an in-depth, detailed, you know, story like that, uh, you know, computer role-playing game ever from Bioware like that again. It's very sad. It's very unfortunate. But that's just the way it is. And, again, I, I've taken a lot of heat for that stance, but now, a year later, people are actually starting to see the realization of that situation. Mm. Oh man, I just beat Baldur's Gate two days ago. Yeah, it was awesome. <laughs> anyway, that was one hell of an introduction, Peter. You've definitely established your street cred once again. And with that, uh, let's move on over to the mailbag segment. We got one email this week uh or last couple weeks from uh from kevin and he gave us this nice little write-up about uh how to use the lost from uh changeling the lost with other supernatural splats and he was basically recommending to us that we look into uh not exactly crossovers but combining these different uh supernatural types uh how they can interact uh, mm. in a segment in a future show, and that's great. Uh, maybe we'll look into doing that as a Darkling or maybe a full segment in the future. Yeah, I think there's um, there's a lot lot to do with that. I mean, I've, I've messed around with that to some extent in, you know, like Vampire and also in Changeling. So I've had, like, a, in my Changeling Chronicle, I had a, a Quashelum from uh, Promethean turn up and had, obviously, some a Promethean in the game. So... Um, you know, that's one of the nice things about New World of Darkness is that you can so easily slot in something from one of the other splats to be either an antagonist or protagonist or some ambiguous kind of character to add, a, and again, to add mystery into the game. I think there's a lot of lessons that can be learned from that that can be applied to uh, running Old World of Darkness games, so it's definitely worth looking at and discussing what you can do. All right, uh, that's it for the mailbag, and let's move on over to uh, White Wolf News. All right, so uh, there's one thing that's not in the show notes here that I was kind of debating, like, whether or not I should mention... So White Wolf, like, just two days ago, released Penny Dreadful as a PDF on DriveThruRPG. 
Uh, this is originally uh, back in like 2004. It was a serialized mm. novel on the White Wolf website, and they released it for free. And if you just use the Wayback Machine, you can download the PDFs. And they're also on the author's website. Uh, author is Kevin A. Murphy. But White Wolf is charging $5 for the PDF on DriveThruRPG. So I sent him a tweet. Maybe I should send him an email just being like, hey, what's the deal, guys? So I just want I really want to give people a heads up about that. Um, I, I think it's just a simple mistake, honestly. They mm. probably thought it's gone, and why don't we just throw it up on drive-thru? Can you get it on print on demand through drive-thru then? No. So, the same thing? Yeah. I don't think it's going to be POD, simply because it's it has red text, and it's got like a kind of yellowish parchment background, so that's not really conducive unless you do a color copy. And then that's yeah. a 400-page color novel, which is pretty ridiculous. <laughs> Um, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, if it is going to be POD, then well, I guess that's cool. I'm fine with that. But it's just something I want to like bring to people's attention, just so they know. Yeah. Um, we've got a few new releases as well. Most recently, we've got Goblin Markets for Changing the Lost. That's on print on demand as well. And, of course, we have Strange Dead Love, which we interviewed... Um, Philomena Young about, and I've read through that, so I have some highlights to pick out on that one in a bit. What else is there, Mike? <laughs> um, nothing that I can think of. There might be some new POD stuff. I think I saw like Rage Across Egypt when I checked last. Um, I don't know. They're they're chugging along basically. And uh, I think that's really it for White Wolf news, to be honest. Uh, it's only been a couple weeks, and we've had the holidays, so yeah. uh, not much going on over there. And with that, let's move on over to the secret frequency. It's under the stairs. <laughs> so, Chris, uh, just before we started the show, you found a pretty sweet article. So, uh, why don't you... Uh, <laughs> Tell us about that. Okay, this is a interesting story that occurred around about Christmas, and it can, it's about uh, reports of the sighting of the legendary Oily Man, a monster that terrorizes Malaysia. So, residents of the Kampung district of Melaka uh, in Malaysia were alarmed over reports of the Orang Minyak, I may have pronounced that completely wrong, but hey. And this is Malaya for Oily Man, a strange monster that is said to abduct young women at night and has been occasionally sighted over the decades, but never captured. According to a reporter, there have been multiple sightings this Christmas, and one eyewitness had uh, reported seeing it crawling up the stairs of the house just like Spider-Man, when it reached the top, it suddenly jumped onto the roof. I don't think a human could do that, and then it just disappeared. This was particularly disturbing, as uh, the families that have seen it all have young girls in the house. Um, there are numerous um, reasons or uh, ideas for what this creature is. Uh, some say it's simply some form of supernatural creature in its own right. Others say it's a human warlock who coats himself with grease that's as black as his soul. Uh, the grease not only looks scary, but it's disgusting, and 
allows him to uh, escape capture as he can never be uh, fully held on too tightly. Um, of, co uh, of course, there's never been any um, reports of anyone having greasy hands when they've uh, captured him, so we can't uh, verify that. So, yeah, the villagers, of course, don't trust the police to protect them, and so we now have uh, citizens patrolling armed with machetes looking for the monster. The Orang Minyak is also one of many similar mythical creatures in the region. There is the Orang Ekor, which is the tailed man, a, a race of men and women who have tails. The Orang Gadang, the big man, or ten foot tall beast with long hair, so a yeti-like creature. And the Orang Bati, which is a flying man, a creature that stands about five feet tall with black leathery wings and allegedly makes its home in dormant volcanoes. That's what the oily man has been up to recently. He's been scaring people and possibly looking for young women to be his victims. On a final note, according to Michael Newton in his Encyclopedia of Cryptozoology, a global guide, the Orang Minyak is an aggressive unknown hominid or primate reported in the peninsula of Malaysia. Nature's in the region claim that this large hairy biped attacks rural villages by night and carries off young women. So it already is known about quite well in cryptozoology books and um, and of course there are now people out on the streets with machetes trying to hunt down this uh, strange creature. So yeah, what do you think Mike? What would you and what's your initial thoughts on how you would use this in a World of Darkness game? Uh, that's a good question. Well, when you're mm -hmm. talking about young girls, that gets me thinking about, uh, like, kinfolk of werewolves and, uh, how something may be targeting them. Mm. Um, and then, of course, there's the old standby of changing the lost. I mean, if it's whisking, if it's something, uh, Truffet whisking off, uh, children, then bam. Yeah. Uh, there you go with that. It's um, pretty simple it, to go with. It fits in totally, um, as a, again, for changing the lost, uh, what, one of the Darklings? Which one is it? Tunnel Grub? It kind of fits with that idea because they can slip through things. Of course, you could go with... Um, uh, I'm trying to think. Um, it's, it's a classic La Sombra uh, from Vampire the Masquerade. Mm. The whole thing when the guy said it was kind of like just like Spider-Man me immediately made me think that actually that's the wrong character to reference from Spider-Man. It's actually more like Carnage. Um, <laughs> but um, I would say, of course, for Mage, uh, Mage the Awakening, it kind of fits with the idea of uh, making use of the Death Arcana and manipulating shadows. Um, if you want to go down the Promethean line, it's either one of the Centimani, it could even be a uh, Pandoran, or of course you could go down the route of something more like uh, maybe an maybe an Uglan or maybe a Tammuz, or an, you know Promethean kind of fits that idea. Um, or of course, if you want to be if you want to go for the most easy one to apply, it's a spirit ridden. Uh, someone tainted by shadows, death, oil, or it's a magath of some combination of spirits that involves oil, of course. Um, if you again keeping with the werewolf route, then it could be a creature that's been born out of um, the pollution of nearby rivers. 
Uh, ooh, uh, Peaceer, any ideas? Well, uh, you guys really, wow, you pretty much covered everything. Uh, I was actually <laughs> thinking, I was actually uh, in Mike's boat right before he spoke. I was thinking he and I were on the same page. I was definitely thinking, uh, as soon as you mentioned that, I was thinking a conflict uh, with uh, one of the outlying uh, ware clans uh, of my city, uh, you know, the proverbial city I'd be uh, playing in the setting, and them having a conflict with one of these entities that spills over into the from the suburbs uh, to the urban areas, and then the local kindred uh, magistrates, whether it's a Kami or Sabat or whatever the case may be, whoever's really in charge of the city, independence, whatnot, have to kind of step in, and then it becomes kind of a three-way conflict. Hmm. That was my initial thoughts. Yeah, the other thing I was thinking is, what is the point of the grease? Like, actually, I think it brings it up in the article. Like, uh, it, grease would just make it tougher for, like, the person mm. to break in and, uh, and grab these people. So, it's pretty strange and just, just yeah. off, basically. Of course, if you really want to break it down to its most basic, uh, keep it as a cryptid. I mean, if you really want to throw your player's curveball, go with a cryptid. So, if some, if a player out there is trying to be really kind of wily and, like, Oh my, whatever my vampire is, of course a uh, is of course is a researcher of the paranormal and so forth, and knows everything about anything that I might come across in the game setting. If you're using everything from various different books, then hell, just keep it as a cryptid, and that way they know jack shit about it. <laughs> um, that's just because I mean. <laughs> it's also a good way, uh, as Chris was kind of, I, I think he, the way we're just going with that, uh, was to dealing with metagamers. You know, these people yes. who have every rule, every stat, every NPC memorized. You throw, you throw something, you throw the antagonist of the Chronicle as something that isn't in the book, something you've completely made up, uh, then that, you know, there's kind of no way for them to metagame that. Well, yeah, that's, that's exactly... I think the the key thing there is of using cryptids, and I think we discussed last week with the uh, uh, last week last show anyway um, about the science of evil. It's the whole whole idea that you can you can inject into your games monsters whose origins really are tied to none of the splats at all, or or anything to do with spirits or anything to do with ghosts, and you know your your uh, mage that has sphere, spheres or arcana coming out of his ass cannot do anything really directly to it because they don't really know what they're dealing with and that again just makes the world seem stranger, weirder, scarier and you know it's always good just to, to fr freshen up games by doing that um, I think this is something again we might touch upon if when we look at uh, do some uh, kind of a flashback to like uh, a particular set of books in particular Predators from Werewolf is that some those books are really useful and again like oh of course what, what else could this creature be it could be an intruder from the abyss or um, if you want to use the creatures out of the back of Second Sight which is again kind of more Cthulhuid type entities again you know so you're putting 
scary things in the game which aren't tied to any of the particular splats. Very cool, cool. Yeah, right, I think <laughs> that's it for the secret frequency. So, uh, from there, let's move on over to the, I guess we'll call it the wide news segment. Mm-hmm. All right, so we've got Peter here tonight, and he went to the Grand Masquerade. We didn't. So, uh, Peter, could you just give us some like some of your basic uh, like gut reactions to that entire event and uh, some of the like cool highlights that you saw? Okay, well, let me uh, just say, and this is the most important thing, and I think Chris here uh, will appreciate and respect this. New Orleans is awesome because you can walk down the street with your plastic cup of strawberry daiquiri. <laughs> that is awesome. just pretty awesome. Uh, and I got to be honest, I was drunk for about half the time. <laughs> I got to throw that out there. So some of my recollection might be a little on the fuzzy side, just the same. Now, with all uh, on a serious note, though, it was um, very, very. I, I'm not sure if there's really a word in my vocabulary that can really describe it. Um, interesting doesn't even begin to scratch the surface, but it was quite, quite an experience. Uh, walking through the French Quarter with what seemed to be hundreds, if not a thousand plus of people at this event, uh, all dressed up in character for the most part. Um, As Mike, who went to PAX East with me uh, last year, uh, there were people all dressed up just walking around about throughout Boston, uh, throughout around the convention center we're at. And it was Mm kind of like that, but in the vampire context. You know, uh, 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 so it was very, so it, it was almost surreal. In you know, here I am in uh, one of the oldest existing cities in America. You know, in a very European-looking part of New Orleans, French Quarter, and uh, all of that. And here are all these uh, proverbial kindred-looking people. You know, walk walking around socializing so on and so forth all throughout the neighborhood so it was very surreal on that level i totally <laughs> understand what you're saying yeah so yeah it, it, uh, very very interesting i met some wonderful wonderful people it was a great time um not only uh you know to go to these panels to go to these conferences to uh go to one of the pen and paper games or larp situations but it was a great time just to meet new people you know uh make some new friendships make some new acquaintances doing some networking uh you know it really was a very uh for anyone who uh wants to you know get more involved in uh you know whether it's vampire the masquerade or requiem whatever the case may be and just be more involved in the community meet new people uh, get new takes on things, ha- have, uh, you know, some very interesting shop talk over a cup of uh, a cappuccino, Th- this is definitely an uh, environment that definitely fosters that and definitely is probably one of the most uh, powerful and amazing aspects of, of the Grand Masquerade as a whole. Yes, the LARPing is cool, the pen and paper is cool, the panels are really awesome, but just the interaction with other fans and other uh other like-minded people uh, re- really really is an amazing experience i gotta say um 
Now, uh, with that said, uh, yes, um, I did partake in a little bit of LARPing. My very, actually, my, I'm a, you know, I'm an old school uh, pen and paper guy. Uh, this is my first time LARPing. Not the best first time experience, I gotta say. It was, certainly wasn't bad, but unfortunately, I, I went with uh, my senior staff member and assistant administrator for WODnews.net, uh, Donovan. Uh, and my girlfriend Evie, uh, we all went on the second day, and the storyline, however, had progressed, and it was basically just a fallout of the storyline they were LARPing, and so we kind of came in on the tail end, and so everything had already, you know, the initial meetings had already taken place, and, and you know, things that had already happened, uh, just like a pen and paper session, um, you know, if, if you're in a campaign or a chronicle and uh, the you're two-thirds away through the chronicle and then a new player jumps in with that character, it's kind of hard to really get into the meat of the situation. So that's unfortunately mm -hmm. the, the wall I was up against. I wasn't there. Right, right. I got there late the first day, so I missed the initial setup and meeting, meeting everyone and such. Uh, Donovan was there. I was not. So I tagged along with him, as I said, the second day, and, and he said his experience on the first day was very, very different than, unfortunately, what I encountered. But it was still very interesting. I had some interesting people. Uh, I certainly don't regret it. You know, uh, it was a very interesting hour. Uh, I partook in that. But uh, one thing I will say to anyone who wants to get into LARPing who hasn't done it, done it much, uh, is it seems from this experience certainly told me it's very, very, very critical uh, to, as I said, just like with a pen and paper session, uh, to really get the full experience, you really gotta start out. It's not something you can just jump into in the middle of an existing storyline or existing chronicle or whatnot, because just like with the pen and paper session, you really missed out a lot, and everyone's kind of, has kind of secluded themselves in their own little cliques by that point, and so it's really hard to work your way in there. But nonetheless, uh, but the, the panels were amazing. Uh, which we'll, I'm sure we'll uh, talk about uh, momentarily, uh, especially the MMO panel. Uh, but the the panels were interesting. The the sessions were really interesting. Uh, you get to walk around with your uh, drink down uh, down uh, you know Bourbon Street. You know, all dressed in Victorian Goth attire. So really, what's not to love? <laughs> uh, I know that in uh, regarding LARP back in the the 2010, the first Grand Masquerade, they had three really beautiful venues, uh, uh, one for Changeling, one for Vampire, and one for Werewolf. Uh, did they have a similar setup this year, or uh, or basically just what did you see, and was it cool, like, when they highlights about it? Uh, yeah, I'll tell you, they, they actually hired a prop company to come and set up the, uh, the ballroom slash Prince's Council Chamber rooms uh the the larping i partook in which was the vampire the masquerade um there were as far as i saw there was uh definitely the vampire the masquerade and the requiem uh were the largest uh then there was uh then there was some werewolf uh which they but they were kind of pushed to the side and I never really encountered what exactly how those were set up per se. I heard they were kind of more like a 
biker bar kind. That's what I heard. It was kind of a biker hmm. bar or very uh, kind of roughshod kind of bar kind of set up uh, where the vampire rooms, there were three main ones. Uh, they were very large, flowing drapes, nice plush furniture, so on and so forth. You know, very elegant. You know, basically a Torador's wet dream kind of setting. So I, I am, and not, not only having a passing interest in the in the where I really didn't go there, so I can't really speak on how that LARPing went. But look, but if you still have access to the um, the itinerary of the events, you'll see that a good eighty percent was all dedicated to vampires, either requiem or masquerade. Uh, that was pr- they were pretty neck and neck when it came to quantity on that level. Then there was some werewolf, and honestly, I don't recall anything but vampire and werewolf as it came as it pertained to uh, LARPing sessions. Tabletop, yes, there were other things going on, but LARPing, uh, if if they did, they even got pushing me to the farther corner than the werewolf was. So I don't even really, I I, I can't say I've actually I actually seen any other LARPing besides vamp than the werewolf or the vampire. And the vampire was certainly the largest. They had the largest rooms. They had the most people. I mean, the, it was the vampire LARP certainly took front and center stage. So, I guess my my next question is like, uh, who did you high five? Like, uh, what cool people did you run into from White Wolf or uh, or what? Like, really cool fans? Do you recall uh, anything like that? Oh goodness, yeah, I I, I bumped uh, elbows with several people from CCP. Uh, Shane Depressed, uh, the former. Uh, community manager, um, the uh, uh, Chris M, the senior producer of the MMO, and in passing, like on the elevator and such, um, I, I bumped into a few other CCP folk. And as for as for um, just cool people, uh, I, I I I wouldn't even know where to begin. <laughs> uh, they, they, I, I, I can't say I had one for the most part I can't I can't really recall one bad personal experience uh, you know just just general social interaction I had there everyone was friendly everyone was you just walked up to someone you could just have an you know you could end up as having a nice 20 minute conversation everyone was welcoming everyone was warm everyone was friendly um, there, there was just, you know, uh, a, a multitude, but the, um, so, so, you know, it's kind of hard, kind of hard, though I will say, I will say, um, the one, the one person that kind of sticks out, uh, she was actually a model for the V20 book. And, mm-hmm. uh, unfortunately I don't quite have the V20 book right here. And I, I can't remember the, uh, her name, uh, but she's on page like two, three. 30 something or other um and uh she actually signed my book for me uh actually we met after the event at the airport and we bumped into uh, we 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 uh actually crossed the paths again uh we talked a little bit she, she was nice enough to sign uh i didn't ask she volunteered to sign it and uh my v20 book on the page she, she modeled for but anyway uh she, uh she was there with uh her boyfriend and she, she was a real real sweetheart and you know i it's it's funny. I, I think it's fair to say most people involved in the masquerade, requiem, so on and so forth, probably 
in I, I I'd say the the age group for that is probably a bit older than maybe your typical uh you know our peer uh you know probably in the twenties twenties or thirties I, I don't know what the exact statistics are White Wolf has but I I assume it's probably a bit older age group yet uh, all these models the female models who were there it was so. <laughs> You know, that whole maturity just went out the window, and it was like kids in a candy store. They were, it's just like, I think these girls heard every pickup line a hundred times over. It was, it was, yeah, I, I kind of felt a little embarrassed for them a, a little bit. But, but you know, you know, it is what it is. It was fun. They, they took it, at least they tried to take it with a grain of salt as best they could. Uh, you know, smile, thanks, but no thanks, I guess, kind of thing. Uh, but that aside, though, uh, they, they were really, uh, really, really nice people. Um, and as I said, the, the models who were in the V20 book, most of them were there. They were very forthcoming. And they, in fact, they got to the point where they constantly had a Sharpie pen with them. So, because people were coming up all the time, can you sign my V20 book? Can you sign? I, I, I wish I had a dollar every time I saw someone run up to one of the models who was, you know, mingling or at this event or that event, and oh, can you sign my V twenty book? So, yeah. Cool, cool. Uh, Chris, you got any questions? Ooh, I'm just trying to think. Can you tell us more about the the actual location, the actual venues themselves? Because I, I know the the hotels that and and uh, the key locations of the Grand Masquerade were were quite specific. And um, can you just tell us more about? The, the decor of it because were they not like kind of art deco and so forth yes kind of interested like, in that yeah the the hotels had definitely uh turn of the century i'm talking last century uh, yeah <laughs> turn of the century french influence um you know which isn't surprising considering you know the the roots of new orleans uh and uh so even though uh, the hotels weren't quite that old, they definitely had that ambiance. Though so a lot of the city is quite old, uh, some of the buildings, uh, you know, are 100, 200 years, you know, a couple hundred years old. So, uh, but the yeah, the, the hotels definitely kept in flavor with the rest of the French Quarter, uh, and it, fa- I'd say fairly decadent for. I mean, there were nice hotels. The, the event the event was split up between two hotels, and the yeah the putting aside the uh, the decor the group that came in to decorate the LARPing rooms, just putting that the LARPing areas aside, just the hotels, the, the ballrooms where conference were held, uh, the the lobbies where a lot of a lot of socializing was going on almost all hours of the day and night. Uh, very, very, uh, very, very nice. Definitely uh, turn of the century French influenced Art Deco-y, uh kind of atmosphere and, and feel. In fact, in the uh, Hotel Montello where I was at, uh, the bar of the hotel had an old, old world carousel, and <laughs> it actually slowly went around in a circle. So actually, while you're at the bar, the scene, the bar was round. It was the center of the carousel, and it act, and you slowly were, were going around. So your scenery was always changing. Wow. Yeah. 
It was very cool. Very cool. And um, so obviously there were the um, there were of course all the uh, presentations that were going on, and there was the laughing. Whatever kind of event were there? Any other smaller events going on uh, at Grand Masquerade that weren't focused on the laughing and focusing on the uh, you know, White Wolf CCP discussions on various games? Whatever were there ever smaller things to get involved in? The big thing that um, was going on and. Because I'm not big into LARPing, um, you know, you're going to have to give. I don't really know the names of the exact people involved and such, though I did meet, meet them. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the big thing that was going on is CCP, you know, a.k.a. White Wolf, was giving the reins of uh, what, what's the big LARPing, the Camarilla. Mm. They signing that because I guess because legally they legally took it over because Camarillo, Trademark, and I guess before White Wolf got taken over by CCP, White Wolf legally went after the LARPing group because they called themselves the Camarillo, which they considered their property, and the judge ruled in favor of White Wolf, so they legally took ownership of the LARP, that LARPing group. Hmm. Fast forward, CCP buys them out. CCP's like, this is one of the, you know, one of the PR situations they totally hit a grand slam with. You know, if they did this more often, they probably wouldn't be in in the position they did last year. They said, you know what, you know, we are a gaming company. We are a pen and paper company. We are not a LARPing company. You know, yes, so they, they actually... Uh, through, I guess, over the past few years, worked on giving the Camarilla their making an independent entity again, no longer owned by White Wolf slash CCP. And mm-hmm. the, docu- the legal document was actually signed at a ceremony there at the Grand Masquerade, where the Camarilla is now once again a, an independent entity run by essentially like a board of elected board of directors. Cool. And uh, the other big thing going on at the Grand Masquerade was, of course, uh, talking about the MMO and really like finally giving us some facts about it uh, and all that. So um, I guess, Peter, do you want to like kind of, since this is your territory, discuss uh, some of the, the big announcements that they made? Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot. Uh, they really went quite uh, quite specific. It was, te- let me just say, technically, the... Um, the conference was billed at the MMO conference. There was only one, and it was billed as "Tell us, you know, what do you want in the MMO?" It was essentially just people going to the microphone and saying, you know, telling uh, uh, Chris, uh, who was there, the senior producer of CCP uh, of the MMO, who works for CCP, um, and just. The whole, the original concept was just go there and say, you know, I'd really like this to be in the game and this is why. And that was really the initial setup of the roundtable. It very, very quickly devolved into, you know, how is this going to work in the game? You know, is this in the game? That kind of thing. It came, it turned into more a Q&A 
than it did a request session, which it was originally billed as. So with all that said, and Chris just kind of went with it. And things he couldn't talk about, he just said, I really can't talk about that right now. But the questions he could answer, he did. And this is how all this information came to be. Um, now, with all that said, uh, come some uh, some of the big points, and this is interesting, and a lot of people are taking issue with this. Uh, one of the first things they said is that they are going to try to emulate the feel because they want to have this foster in you know online role playing, but they're actually trying to emulate the feel of LARPing more so than any other MMO currently in existence so now some people are taking issue with that saying well you know i'm not into you know what do they want me to do run around with my cardboard sword throwing nerf you know nerf painted like fireballs what are they talking you know what are they talking about and i you know and you know because unfortunately you know larping does bring up some negative connotations unfortunately uh but However, I think all they were trying to do, at least that was my impression sitting there, is all Chris uh, was trying uh, to, to state is they really want role-playing to take a front and center of this MMO more than any other MMO, in, you know, commercial MMO in existence today. And I think that's all he was trying to say is they're trying to emulate the LARPing because they want you to feel, you know, they want you to care for your character. They want you to, to, to be invested in your character. Uh, and, you know, and they want you to care about your character. And, I, uh, you know, and, and I, I think that's really what they were trying to say. And I'm not trying to put words in his mouth. Maybe he, I could be totally wrong. And, you know, uh, yeah, if so, I'm sure it'll come out. But that was my impression of what he meant by that comment. Yeah, um, I think, well, what I, I've kind of, like, gained from what I've read and, like, I guess we'll discuss in a bit, like, some of the mechanics that have been kind of suggested that would appear is that when they say they want it to they want the game to mimic the the LARP um, environment rather than say than other uh, MMOs is either that mechanic the mechanics of the game support the social uh, the social interaction of the setting and it's the social interaction of the setting that drives the game and um, and you know, creates the communities and, and tells you who's in charge and who's who's the bigwig and who's Prince of the City. Whereas, say, in other games, to become Prince of the City or the equivalent, you know, it's the person that has played the mechanics of the game to get to the top, which is, you know, grinding through dungeon upon dungeon and, and, right. and make, and, you know, farming however many bloody cabbages out of a place and turn them into a, an armor of cabbages um yeah that, yeah, that's the impression i've got from vampires that it, the mechanics support the social mechanisms that right. we that that they're in the larping environment and even at the tabletop to how players get into positions of power or and do what they want to do no i, I would i I definitely agree 110% with your analysis uh, of the comments that were made. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I quite frankly can't really add a, a whole lot to that except to say, again, to go back to what you said, is several times during uh, this panel, he stressed many times 
about social interaction uh, and networking and maintaining a loyal group of friends and followers <laughs> will be important in this game to to get anywhere. So yeah. I, I agree. I, I I think yeah. Will grinding have every MMO? You, you know, you can kill stuff for you know money or whatever. That's that's to some degree going to be in there. But it's not. It's certainly the way he talked. Certainly is not going to be the main way to get anywhere. In fact, he even said, uh, and one of the other big bombshells he said, there's going to be many cities of various sizes, and players can work their way up to prince level of authority in the cities. And but he said there is no way to kill your way up to that level. It is all. It is. To get to that level of authority and power, it's all through networking, and inter and and politics, and and uh, so you see that's stunning to say that. I mean, because yeah. you've only just got to extrapolate that you have a person works their way up to be prince of the city through you know making friends and influencing them, yeah, and and not getting killed because everyone's gaining too much by having this person in power. And then going, well, we kind of like what the other city's got. They've got some cool doohickey that's a plot device kind of, you know, I'm sure they have plot device cool chalices of blood of craziness or whatever. But, you know, there'll be something <laughs> right. that you want to grab. Right. And you, you'll want to then try and work out how you can make use of your, your social network. The Prince of the City uses his social network or the people in there to infiltrate another city. And then you've only got to then go down that chain of thought and then, oh, my bestest bud is now prince of another city and has now turned on me and then there's a war between cities. Right. If right. that if that if that happens in the game, you know, if that actually is totally doable, then I'm there a hundred and ten percent with that. Because I can certainly say that myself, my wife and like friends of you know, previous roleplay group friends will be on there. I'm sure at some point we'll all kind of Agree that it might be fun for one of us at some point to backstab just to see what the hell happens. Right. And that's funny you say that because he also did say while there will be a general uh, CCP run meta plot that happens throughout the game, the, the, the main plots and stories will be player driven. So that, yeah. could, that, that definitely goes into exactly what you say. Cool. Okay. So, yeah, what else was said then? <laughs> um, um, well, the other big thing, everyone starts as mortal. And well, it is all optional if you wish to become kindred. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting because uh, if you build up all this politics within the, the kindred society, but then you've got like 50% of the player base just being mortal, how is that going to work? Uh, it kind of makes you wonder. Is it going to be a lot of like uh, VTM bloodline style quests that the uh, the mortals can do, uh, and, and that kind of stuff, or is there going to be uh, a, a separate political entity for the mortals to uh, interact with? That's tough. That's a tough call. I, I really feel. Um, I, I think from a game mechanic standpoint, they had to go this route because let's be honest. Uh, you know, knock on wood. Uh, it comes out, it's successful, 
they're going to want to put some expansions out there. The next right, logical, right. Lo- just like, just like um, they're talking W twenty now, after V twenty, most next logical expansion is playable where werewolves, or were creatures as a whole. And if everyone starts immortal, then as you start adding, you know, were creatures, mages, so on and so forth, then you can take your generic uh, human mortal avatar and take him in whatever direction you want you know you want to take him a mage go down the mage path you want to be kindred you know i you know go down the vampire path so on and so forth so from a game mechanic standpoint this was almost a no-brainer they had to do this route because it, this is the only full you know because they were th- forward thinking and i give them credit for that uh but mm. you're right this but by doing that that leaves a whole aspect of what a player is going to do if they don't run and find the first vampire to turn them if they choose to stay kindred. So in a way, they've almost doubled the amount of work they need to do. Not only do they need mm-hmm. to, you know, make make missions and aspects of the kindred, but you got to do almost the same thing, but for mortals, because obviously, most more. Uh, I mean, just. You know, realistically speaking, a mortal tries to do a, a vampire mission. Most putting aside the masquerade and all that stuff, just quite frankly, the mortal's going to get you know, going to get ripped to pieces. I don't imagine there's going to be missions in the way that we think from other MMOs because Probably. you only have to look at only have to look at um, Eve. Eve does Eve really have missions? I can I can see that their way of of um, of uh, fostering. Uh, uh, social uh, entities emerging, both in in the vampire part of the game and the mortal part of the game, will revolve me- around many of the things that they know from Eve. So, you know, you will have some something within a city that is the equivalent of the mortal mayor of the city because they are they are um, they're obviously they've got their network of people they influence, and they've also got the things that they the resources that they can they can harvest by having having gone to that rank and then i then that the real crazy thing is when you have the vampire if they if they even go down this route i mean this is just me speculating but if it's the the vampire part being symbiotic with the mortal part as in the vampires don't get access to certain things that the mortals have and the only way to do that is by you know the mechanisms that we we know and love in vampire which are blood bonds and or specs and dominate and so forth to manipulate the mortals. That'd be really interesting if you could do that. If they go down that route, that'd be amazing. But again, this is just me hmm. chucking ideas Maybe. out. Here's kind of what I'm thinking. So, so with mortal characters, uh, if you're playing as one, you know, you got a couple of choices. You could actually work for vampires, and uh, there might be some uses that a vampire has for mortals. Um, uh, you know, lack of frenzy, no dependence on blood. We could see how that works out. But here's the other thing I'm thinking, which could be really cool. If you decide to stay immortal, that means that, you know, you could become a hunter and you monkey wrench all the different supernaturals. In effect, if you play as a mortal, you could get to be a griefer, but you don't have any special powers or anything. I've been thinking that one, Yeah. <laughs> That could be pretty interesting, and uh, just to see how that works out, because it's like, 
you you give that option to people, but they don't get any of the special benefits, which kind of kind of balances it out. They get to grief, but they don't. But it's not easy to grief. So exactly. Yeah, you get to kill, but it ain't going to be easy to kill a bunch of vampires. That's unless you get a bunch of your friends who are also mortals and also griefers that go, let's go slay vampires. And that's hilarious mm -hmm. then, because you be, <laughs> you've got your vampire character going, I've just influenced my friends, the, the prince of the city's gone here, have some extra blood for the next however many weeks in the game. You know, you've, you've got that resource and you don't need to go out and harvest it. You've actually got it via a different route. And you go... Everything's good. It's a lovely night out. The moon is shining. The blood is running. And then, you know, ten mortals turn up and go, "Hey, buddy, you're a vampire, and we know so because we've watched you for however many weeks, and we know you've got a lot of stuff we can grab. Let's kill you and be like, ah, shit. Where are my friends now? And if that again, it's one of those things. If they can replicate that, then of you know, a bunch of mortals jumping a vampire because they've done their research on who they want to jump." then shit, that'll be amazing. It will. It will. And uh, they, they've kind of implied that there will be quote-unquote classes, for lack of a better term, um, you know, for mortals. So I, I, I'd i be shocked if they, you know, a vampire hunter or whatnot, you know, kind of equivalent path isn't available to the mortal avatars. I'd be very shocked. Mm. It would be really nice if they put in the mortal avatars a some sort of um, hedge wizardry, because that would be really nice to have that in there as a as a, a way of... If they could get magic into the system for mortals in a limited way, because then that's obviously the perfect playground to just begin to go, well, there's the thing ready for mage when that ever happens. But that would be also kind of cool to do. Well. But anyway... Um, what else is on the list of things? So we were talking about griefing, because, I mean, that's a big one, like a massive mechanic in the game, is, of course, yes. humanity for vampires, and yes, humanity absolutely. in general. Yeah, both humanity and generation will be a stat in the game. Now, how it's hmm. exactly implemented, they've only scratched the surface, so we don't exactly know the exact logistics and uh, tech Mechalities of it, but we do know those will those are confirmed stats in the game, and they did say outright that humanity will uh, play in as an anti-griefing tool. Uh, and the, the, one of the examples is if uh, Bob logs in and starts griefing another player. Somewhat, there's a mechanic that he's going to lose humanity, and if his humanity goes down enough, then he will be attackable, attackable asylum enough. So, awesome. yeah. so, I mean, you know, obviously there's a lot of open questions to that, but as I said, they only really scratch the surface of how these stats and mechanics will work, but it definitely is very intriguing. Yeah, and the implications of that is is really big because again, you know, if you want to go out griefing and you want you you want to do something that's useful for your character that involves you losing humanity because it involves pissing off other players, um, you know, that's the time when you want to have your friends about you because suddenly you're an open target because everyone can then attack you. You need people that have got 
who can defend you as well. So again, that that all reinforces the idea that the the social network is you know, runs with these mechanics feeding back into it as into how people then further interact. Um, I hope, as a as a prince of the city, though, you'll be allowed to call blood hunts on people. And of course, if you do it too much, your your humanity will go down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I imagine there's going. He didn't. No one. No one, as far as I recall, or any of my notes, no one really talked about blood hunts really, like directly. Um, so I it, and I don't recall them saying. I don't have any notes or ever recall reading or hearing them say anything about that. So. But one has to assume if you've achieved that level of authority in one of the cities in the game world, there has to be some kind of blood hunt mechanic. That'd be very shocking. Mm. Like you said, I'm sure there'll be limitations and, and stipulations and such. But that aside, you know, or, or, you know, if not, then obviously, then the the that'd just be way out of whack for a prince that a prince would just have way too much you know kill you know <laughs> send a blood hunt to anyone who you know you know any person who looks at him the wrong way you know but yeah it's uh de definitely definitely interesting um uh i i again I, i'd be very very shocked if there wasn't some sort of blood hunt mechanic uh speaking of mechanics uh one other thing that saddens some people uh, there will be no day-night cycle. It will be persistently nighttime in the game world. Uh, and getting back to blood hunts and such, they also said that um, no, there, no one will always be a hundred percent safe, no matter where you are. Now, how that exactly works, and for example, uh, uh, you know, a, a safe zone, a Elysium, whatever, you know, a asylum, or whatever the case may be. You know, who knows, but they basically said no one will always be 100% safe. Now, you could probably interpret the word safe a couple different ways, but I just found that interesting. Mm. Yeah, it kind of makes me wonder how they can implement that exactly. Just running it over in my head, you know, you of course have, like, physical attacks, but you also have to kind of wonder about uh, how, if there's going to be social attacks or social combat in this. Or if they're all just going to leave it up to text-based uh, discussions in the game. Um, yeah. Yeah, Interesting. there's, there's different... Because obviously, as you say, there are different ways of attacking someone. I mean, there's the physical sense. And, you know, you may well be in Elysium, but going back to the, the idea of people playing mortals forming bands of hunters, is are they going to be... Uh, would a bunch of hunters, if they did the appropriate actions within the game that allowed them to do it, would they be able to gatecrash a gathering of vampires in Elysium and go, aha, suckers, and, you know, take out people? Or, um, and with the non-direct attacks, that you've got to consider how how would you go about replicating the classic, uh, I'm a vampire who has influence in city planning, I'm going to have your haven torn down by... You know, you've got all those those things which um, yeah again it'd be interesting to see how they can work those into the game because those are those are classic ways of shit going wrong for your character <laughs> there is there right, is right yeah and that's the other cool thing uh, uh, Chris 
they're going to actually have havens in the game that yeah. your character can get. Uh, you can, like, decorate them or whatever, and I'm I'm a little leery of this, but apparently anything goes in your haven, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what he said. Uh, because someone asked him, it was concerned, and I think justifiably so, that they didn't want this to become like the Second Life vampire shards, where, you know, sometimes... You have a naked goth avatar which, with, a, you know, ten times the size of the avatar's penis running around. Or, you know, just crazy, obviously uh. immersion-breaking situations. And, the, and, and Chris responded, said that uh, while there will be nudity in the game and avatars can get nude, that will be limited to public areas, implying, I guess, maybe you can't get... Uh, my, the, the impression, of course, this is just me guesstimating, but the, my impression is that means you can't strip down more to than, you know, your bra and panties or uh, b- boxers or whatever the case may be. Um, mm. You know, uh, that, that's kind of the impression I got. But he said in Havens, anything goes, which means to me there, you know, nudity, whatever is it's all it's all fun and games. So that was. That was the impression I was left when he talked about Havens. Yeah, speaking of which, so if you're playing as Immortals and you want to grief a vampire in an alley, just get one of your buddies to strip down and streak down Main Street <laughs> and attract all the police away. <laughs> it's going to be a huge tactic. Uh, that, you see, that would be interesting, of course, going back to the whole, um, the whole mortal uh being represented in the game and form their societies. I mean, will will you have players be able to take up jobs as police officers? I mean, and getting you know your your police officer gets a gets reports whenever of whenever a person nearby you know a mortal nearby gets hurt, maimed, fed upon, and you go you'll have the chance to go and go along and deal with whatever's there. <laughs> Again, the the opportunities hmm. that you could that you could get through um through some of these uh, uh, social groups that could be built within the game would be um it'd be great to see. I'd love because again it'd be great to see a bunch of mortal you know, to be a, be a bunch of mortals. You've formed a, you've got a group of players that have formed the police force within that city, and then slowly to see them totally corrupted by the bunch of vampires because they want power over the police force. Right. Maybe. Uh, what I think you're probably going to have happen with occupations is that since you don't have the day-night cycle, mm. characters just get to select their occupation and that affects their resource stat yeah. or something like that. Keep, um, speaking of stats, uh, Chris also did say that the in-game character sheet is very similar to the uh, Vampire the Masquerade V20 character sheet so he didn't say it was identical or exact he says very i believe that if i recall his exact quote was very similar so i think we are going to see a pretty decent translation of the pen and paper stats and the to the mmo yeah i believe it because uh the bloodlines video game basically used the uh vampire yeah. masquerade character right. sheet so right. very successfully yeah. i might add Indeed, yeah, yeah. The my my only concern 
um, quite honestly, I have with that is I'm probably going to have to increase the dots uh, from five to probably ten or you know ten, twelve, maybe twenty, because quite mm-hmm. frankly, if they keep it at a five, the progression will be so unbearably snail pace slow that you know I I interest will wane. Uh, you, you know, progression should be slow, but you got to, you know, even, even if, even if the dot, if you increase it at 10, you know, make, again, each, each two dots equal one dot equivalent to the, you know, old system. But, but even, but even if you just do the half, you know, the, the, uh, a dot really only equals half of real dots, you know, mechanics wise. It at least gives the player a sense of accomplishment. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It, yeah. It, mm-hmm. it, you, you gotta, you gotta, you know, you gotta have a little bit of, oh, hey, I just, I just earned a dot and I can put it somewhere. You know, what, you know, because if you have if so few and far, because with only five in stats and skills, the dots are going to be so few and far. Either it's one of two things. Either the only way to compensate that is either to have very fast progression. Which then then basically means you have all these max out vampires two weeks after the game launches, or it's so unbearably slow a lot of people are going to lose interest because they don't feel they're doing all this work and they're not getting anywhere. But then, I mean, it depends. Uh, you know, progression is is something relative. Obviously, it depends whether you consider progression to be a the progression of your character with with their stats and their their powers and their resources, or if you consider progression to be, I'm in charge, motherfuckers. I don't care if I've only got strength one. I've got an army. You've got jackal. Die. So you know, progression can be you. Know, progression is. It depends upon what you see as what's progress. So. Oh, absolutely. I mean, there's definitely many ways that this can be done. But, I mean, mm-hmm. just, just off the top of my head, that's my biggest concern. And I think that's why he said it's very similar. He didn't say it's identical. He didn't say it's going to work exactly. He just said it's very similar. So, I, I, you know, so definitely I think we're going to probably all the core stats are going to be there, the core skills, so on and so forth. He Generation, and as we mentioned earlier, uh, you know, uh, Generation of Humanity, a confirmed stats as well. So it definitely is going to have a flavor of you know the masquerade but i, I they definitely got to tweak it to being 24 7 mmo um gotcha. i was just looking at the things that you updated on um things from grand masquerade um can you tell us a bit more about this cerberus um the software that yeah, they're developing yeah basically said there's this third-party software package called Cerberus and what it can do is when in your in the chat text online uh, it can auto translate that ah. to other clients that are set for you know a different language cool so uh, he said there were five languages that will ship he didn't specify what those were but he said uh, one has to assume Spanish, French, you know, um, you know the big ones. I'm, yeah. I'm, you know, I'm just assuming. 
I, I, but you know, German probably. Um, assuming they could get past the ratings board, <laughs> you know, mm. which I have a hard time believing this game will if they keep true. But did Bloodlines make it past the Germans? No idea. Because that'd be a good. I'll uh, find out. Because <laughs> I, you know, um, if if it had issues then this MMO probably has no chance of getting into Germany. Uh, if they did, then I'd say it's, it's probably on the fence because this is probably going to be a lot more edgier than Bloodlines. I mean, he outright said there's going to be nudity in the game where Bloodlines didn't. Hmm. You know? So, it kind of makes and you the, wonder. Because German... The German censorship of games is kind of questionable anyway. It, it's like whether they... You could have games that are violent and, you know, quite violent and have certain content. It, it, it's the question of... of um, of the agency of the player. So, for instance, uh, Saints Row Third isn't out in Germany um, simply because you know your your you as a player have a character who you then command other players. Uh, no, not other players, other characters to commit crimes and so forth. So, um, whereas you know you can quite happily play Assassin's Creed over here, where you do the same thing, but it's historical violence and right. obviously you're not a criminal. So I think Vampire may may not have a problem because of the fact that it is more... Gr- it, even though even though it is maybe has adult themes, it's grounded in fantasy. Right. Right. I, I see. Australia is getting almost as bad as Germany, though, aren't they? I've been hearing a lot. Um, they they yeah. have this board that's really cutting... Really, like coming down on uh, video game violence, sexuality, and I heard Australia's becoming uh, really... Uh, they, they might be taking the crown from the Germans. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, certainly I'm sure that's a that's a river they'll cross when they come to it, I suppose. Uh, they're a bit of ways away from worrying about that. Um, but the other thing I, I really wanted to mention... Uh, not, not to get sidetracked, get back on track here, uh, <laughs> <laughs> as we always tend to do. Uh, they uh, at the Grand Masquerade, they said uh, Diablery is under serious discussion, and then shortly after the Grand Masquerade, uh, Chris was quoted as saying. Quote, I would absolutely say that Diablery is part of the game now, end quote. Wow. So, that's it. That's another confirmed feature in the game. Cool. Interesting. Yeah, you really have to look at the uh, emergent behavior with that and make sure that you're sending the right message to players. Because if it's a mainly social game and you put in this mechanic to give you more power by just killing people, uh, that's pretty dangerous. But then you've got a fee. You this is the whole thing, though. I think that um that that's interesting with with the development of World Darkness Online is the feedback is, is what the game what the game mechanics do is they allow feedback loops into the social network of the game. So if someone starts diabolizing, you know, their humanity is going to go down to the point that they're then and you know it's open season on them. So at which point, hmm. you know, people can take them out. But if they've diabolized, but they've been, you know, kind of, you know, kind of 
cunning in how they've been going about doing that and they they're keeping their humanity high then maybe you in order to get revenge on them players are going to have to go you know play, friends of their now dead vampire friends are going to have to go through through the social the, the through the correct channels in in the social networks and uh environments of, that emerge in the game in order to get the prince to go you're going to die because you diabolized and we have proof so forth so forth so um i think that's that's uh it'll be again it'll be interesting to see if that is what happens is that the mechanics help foster the emergent uh social dynamics that are inherent to the games of vampire and werewolf and mage and so forth whoa <laughs> All right, so uh, I think I think we've discussed enough about uh, the MMO. Do you have any uh, closing comments on it? Um, oh, there was something I was going to ask. Damn, I can't think. It may have been uh, related to something in the uh, in the show notes. Hold on, let me have a look. There's something on my mind. Otherwise, no. <laughs> um. Well, one thing I thought was very interesting, just to uh, just to throw that out there, uh, he uh, Chris uh, pretty said it without saying it that consensual PvP fighting until the final death will probably be in the game. Sweet. <laughs> and I okay. thought that I just thought that was really cool. I mean, I don't know who exactly who's worked, you know, put like months into their character or even a year or two wants to risk potential final death. But, and, and for the listeners, I should say final death has been confirmed in the game. How it exactly will work, as again, they've only kind of scratched the surface as explaining it, but, the, but both mortals and kindred can have final death in this game, which means you can totally lose all your work, all everything with your character. Awesome. Gotcha. Interesting. So, uh, I think that's really it with the MMO. And, uh, I guess we really just want to ask Peter, um, kind of like what he thinks about what's been going on with White Wolf lately. Uh, anything about like the, uh, V20 and all that. And basically where he sees, uh, White Wolf and CCP going in the future and, and just a little bit of everything, I guess. Um, well, V20, I think an amazing book, amazing compilation. I'm actually, uh, it actually has uh, revitalized uh, my interest in the pen and paper game. It's never really been gone, but the, the, the cleaning up of the rules and uh, the everything in one tome. Uh, I don't want to call it a book. It is literally a tome, if anyone's seen it. Um, mm-hmm. It's uh, it's five hundred something pages, almost six hundred something like that. It's crazy. It's huge, uh, but it, it, it's I, I think it's an amazing book. Uh, it I I'm starting a new pen and paper uh, uh, game with it, and I I definitely see this really bringing in or at least assisting with another generation uh, of hopefully uh, young people interested in role-playing to get into the vampire. Because uh, I, I really do see it as a great doorway, a great step. Um, especially with it on print-on-demand. I know there's, there's still some issues with that. I, I've heard back and forth. I don't have to worry about it, but I know there's still some 
issues with print on demand with it at all, but it is, uh, but you can buy the PDF version. Um, uh, and, uh, it's, it's just really, uh, an amazing book. And I, I, I commend them. I think they did a wonderful, wonderful job with it. Uh, you know, people can nitpick all the artwork, this, you know, you always have these people who nitpick this and that, but as a whole, I think it's intent and its purpose. They hit, they hit it out of the park. With that. Um, as for White Wolf, I have my concerns. I, you know, if I didn't believe this MMO is going to come to fruition, I certainly wouldn't be putting all my time and effort into my website. But I do, you know, and I'm usually on the pro-optimism wagon when it comes to White Wolf and specifically the MMO. Uh, however, with the recent cuts they've had, you know, uh, uh, White Wolf lost 20% of the staff. Uh, most of them dealing that were working on the MMO, and then another chunk of them, uh, of those developers, get, that survived the 20% cut, a bunch of them got moved over to EVE. How many are left working on it? Uh, according to Chris, he still has a team, a, 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 fair, a fairly decent team. Uh, they, he's posting progress reports from time to time. Uh, just a few weeks ago, he stated... Uh, the team was working on a Z-axis. The exact uh, example he gave is having avatars jump rooftop to rooftop. Uh, and then he goes out, and then and then he said after that, we are going to be working on the combat system. So clearly, he has a, you know, he has animators, he has graphic artists, uh, he has engine programmers, so on and so forth. So clearly, he has some amount of team. How much? I don't, you know. That that's speculation, but he definitely has a a team enough to, you know, make progress on the game. Um, but I I really have my concerns with the leadership of CCP. I, you know, they made you know we we could spend a whole show on just the missteps they made last year, PR missteps. Uh, that that's a show in, a, in itself, I think. If you guys ever wanted to tackle that. Uh, that, uh, you know, so I won't go into that, but it was a really unfortunate situation, a situation they created, a self-inflicted wound, if you will. Uh, but I, I think at this point, they're doing the best they can to recoup and move forward. But in all honesty, they have no one to blame but themselves for stretching themselves out way too thin. Uh, and I really felt they needed, dust was... Oh, total waste. They should have, they should, they should have been just at Eve and been working on the MMO. Uh, you know, they, they just stretched themselves too thin and then they, again, they caught themselves without enough money. You know, essentially it comes down to money. Uh, they, their subs were dipping. They had too many projects going on. There's, you know, simple, uh, accounting 101. Too much money going out, not enough coming in. They had to do something. I understand that. But nonetheless, I, while I definitely have my concerns, I think the I definitely do think at the end the MMO is going to come out. Probably it's going to be several more years. Uh, but Chris did promise uh, us last uh, the last Grand Masquerade and reiterated that to me in an email this last week that we will be getting some more definitive, solid information. And many people are interpreting that as media. He didn't say that, but that's how it's being some people are interpreting it as this year. And I'm assuming either a PAX or E3, or at the latest, the next Grand Masquerade, but I don't think 
from a PR standpoint, they can afford to wait that long. Hmm. Hmm. Mm. And, and to be fair, we really should point out that uh, while PR might not be good on CCP side with like Eve, they've been doing a really good job uh, for the World of Darkness MMO, like Shane DeFriest and Chris McDonough. You know, oh, getting the information yep. out there. Like with the Grand Masquerade and all that, and really getting people informed and excited, and that's why we're able to talk about all this stuff. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I, I you know, uh, I've talked, you know, I've known Shane uh, for many, many years. He's a great guy. I'm unfortunately, I'm saddened that unfortunately he was one of the 20% who got cut from White Wolf. Um, and Chris, you know, I met him face to face at the Grand Masquerade. We've had many very nice email exchanges. He's a great guy. I, I feel very confident him at the helm. Uh, with all this turmoil, if there was anyone else as the executive producer, senior producer of this game, I would have many, many more doubts and many more worries than I do uh, with Chris at the helm. Uh, I think Chris is going to weather this. I think he's going to pull this out. Uh, you know, probably not in the time frame he wanted. Probably not in the way he wanted. But it's it's going. He, I have virtually no doubt he's going to make this happen, and I, I give him a tremendous amount of credit and kudos as do uh, Shane and the rest of the um, you know uh, Eddie Webb and all these other folks over uh, at White Wolf. I, I I think they're doing the best they can uh, with this current adversity, and uh, you know it's just a weathering the storm. And but I, I, I think they will pull it out. I, you know, I, I I just want my you know, my main concern is CCP, which, you know, pays the bill as long as they get back on track and refocus and get their priorities straight. Absolutely. All right. And with that, um, I think that's uh, all we've got to say, really. Um, uh, Peter, would you like to tell people? Uh, where they can reach you if they have any questions about the MMO and like what you've been finding out because you've you've personally got like some really good uh, s- summaries of of the information up on your website and all that. Oh, absolutely! Uh, you can go to my website, uh, World of Darkness uh, News at uh, wodnews.net. Uh, if you wish to uh, contact me, uh, you can uh, email me at uh, admin a d m i n at wodnews.net. Uh, um, or feel free to just pop in, register an account, pop in my forms. Um, I check the site several times a day, um, myself and my staff. So uh, feel free to uh, pop by. We're more than happy to uh, build up a uh, you know a, a positive uh, uh, MMO community. And uh, many people from uh, White Wolf, including Chris, pop by on a regular basis. So uh, suggestions and ideas are definitely being read. Very cool. And uh, I think that's pretty much it for this episode. Uh, if anyone wants to reach Darker Days Radio, uh, our email is darkerdaysradio at gmail.com. Uh, our Twitter account is Darker Days Radio uh, on Twitter. And uh, of course, if you want to reach uh, Peter on Twitter, it's WOD underscore news, if I remember correctly. That is correct. Yes. <laughs> and uh, you can uh, definitely contact us that yeah. way. And of course, um, there's Facebook where I've been panhandling for uh, ideas of people for blog posts and stuff we can discuss on the show so um, we've had some nice ideas from there but more just tell us what you want to hear 
and I'll write about it or we'll talk about it at some point. Very cool. All right, uh, Peter, I really want to thank you for coming on the show and uh, sharing your experience and knowledge with us. Oh, well, thank you uh, both uh, to you and uh, Chris. I uh, really appreciate coming on here, guys. It's always a pleasure talking to you. And uh, again, uh, Happy New Year to you and all your listeners. That's thank you very much. really great. Thank you. And Chris, I want to thank you for staying up until four in the morning, I believe. Yeah. <laughs> that is a feat of strength right there. Yeah. It's uh, So, uh, good morning to everyone uh, <laughs> right now. Um, yeah, I will be getting some sleep and then heading straight to brunch. I think I may start my uh, day with uh, pancakes and um, Buck's Fizz when I get to uh, the... Uh, get to the uh, cafe in the morning <sighs> right anyway <laughs> all right hey, great Mike, i'm going to see you at pax oh yeah that's right uh you said you're going to be running a v20 game there i'm i'm pretty excited yes. about that yes uh we're going we're going to have uh, i'm going to on saturday and if it needs to uh run over to sunday uh we're going to uh, run a, a v20 game on saturday uh, probably starting around noonish at one of the uh, mm-hmm. empty tables uh, and I know Mike and a couple of the people express interest. I'm looking for a max of four players. So if anyone is interested, uh, if feel free to get in touch with me. And if there's any room, uh, we'll definitely uh, throw you in an empty slot. And also, uh, Mike and I, uh, a.k.a. Lost Heretic, uh, will be video blogging from the floor just like we did last year. <laughs> so I, 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 I'm really looking forward to that because uh, I, I, many people really responded positively uh, to our previews on the floor at PAX East. So uh, I'm definitely looking forward to doing some more blogging uh, with you uh, this time around, Mike. All right, outstanding. Yep, that's it for this episode. So uh, so long, everyone, and uh, good night. <laughs> yeah, morning. <laughs>